So as I was getting interested in maybe writing music, that was my my start with that. That was my beginnings with understanding the very human side of art and how it can help you cope with things, even though I may have not had the language to understand what I was going through then. It certainly was there for me to explore that. The Canary Yellow wasn't just started to share his music. It was created to resonate with an audience that needs the love, support, compassion, and companionship that Josh needed through his early life. Welcome to The Safe Haven, a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life. Josh moved around a lot as a kid, and through various family structures and experiences, he found music to be his safety. Music allows for deep insight and self-exploration, and has proven that although beautiful things can come from dark places, joy and light can be found in such small moments. Growing into the role of a husband and recently a father, life has begun to unfold in ways that allow Josh to keep navigating his own struggles with mental health while creating safe spaces for the next generation to feel less alone, while owning their experiences and honoring their emotions. I dive right into the conversation by asking Josh about how music has become a form of healing. Music, I'm assuming, has been such a therapy for you. Yeah, it it really has. You know, um, I I do music for a living these days and um, I do it in different capacities. You know, uh, I teach music, uh, I play and all of the different, you know, opportunities that have come along with that uh, throughout my years. I'm I'm 32 now, so I've, I've had lots of varying experiences with that, but and it started very early on. Uh, my first interaction with music was when I was very young, you know, I had these toy keyboards and things that would spark my interest in it. Uh, I don't have any musicians in my family, so there was nothing, you know, there to kind of, you know, guide me toward that. It's just, I guess, something that was, you know, maybe calling out to me in some way. I would, I would pick out these Christmas music songs on, the, on these toy keyboards and these little melodies and and my parents were noticing that and were like, okay, I guess he's interested in music and sort of went down uh, that path. Um, so music has always been the, the thing that has given me uh, hope when I was, when I felt hopeless or like I mentioned, an outlet for, for things I may have been feeling inside. And I feel like it's almost a cliche thing to claim those about music because they're so widely claimed because they do that for a lot of people. But I think the truth is, is that when you have that in music, it's deeply personal. And, you know, music has always been that concrete block for me. And, you know, so early on, I did suffer some different traumas. As you mentioned, the word trauma, it sounds so, so, you know, grandiose, and it, and it certainly can be, but there, there was some abuse in my, in my childhood and, you know, some tougher times. Since the age of, of seven, I've moved around a lot, you know, so all through grade school, uh, I went to about eight different schools, you know, because mm-hmm. we were we were moving around quite a bit. And the reason for that was because right around the age of, of seven years old, maybe eight years old in that area, my mother and my adopted father, because side note, I've actually never met my biological father. So mm-hmm. that was, you know, I had my mom had gotten with my adopted father later and they, they married him. But they were getting divorced right around the age of maybe seven or eight, as I mentioned. And that's when all of the moving around started and the um, pushes and pulls, you know, from post to post. Um, We had, you know, step parents were coming in and both of my parents have been separately divorced uh, a handful of times. So I've had quite a bit of of step parents, you know, in and out. And 
you know, along the preteen area a little bit before that, and then into my teenage years, you know, I had a lot of difficulties with those uh, step parents. And, you know, it, it was a very kind of marked time in my, my life. And, and that's where music really started to, to show itself as being the the thing that was going to be permanent for me. I could see it as kind of, um, and not to allude to your podcast name, but a sort of a safe haven in that way. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it heard me when I didn't feel heard. It saw me when I didn't feel seen. And these music artists were able to share these things, share these sides of them that made me feel less alone, you know? And mm-hmm. so as I was getting interested in maybe writing music, that was my my start with that. That was my beginnings with understanding the very human side of art and how it can help you cope with things. Even though I may have not had the language to understand what I was going through then, it certainly was there for me to explore that. Mm-hmm. I think that it would have given you something that you had control over as well. Right. You're having that control over what you're listening to, but also what you're creating. Right. Wow. So moving around a lot, I can't relate to that at all, only just because my parents still live in the house that I grew up in. So it's always made me wonder about how you're able to, or if you can, maintain friendships. I mean, how was that to navigate? That is actually a really great question because that's one of the things I like to bring up. Because the the my ability to maintain friendships today has been you know wildly kind of I guess you know cut down because of those experiences. I certainly have friends today, and, and I value friendship and what that is. But because of the moving around, it's like I would you know from age seven or eight, I would establish these relationships, as you know. And of course, as a kid, you're learning how to do that. So it's like I establish these relationships. Uh, I move schools, and uh, because I'm still very young, it's it's harder to interact with these people if they don't live in your neighborhood or if they're not around you in some way at school, you know. So having to create these relationships and then have them pulled away made it very difficult for me to understand the value of, you know, friendship in that way. So I would find these people I was interested in and we would we would have these great friendships. But once they were sort of continually, you know, cycling and kind of continually getting pulled from me, uh, it's almost like over the years, I, I lost that kind of spark or that that social interest that most people uh, have. Now, uh, I would say that um, because of that, I certainly appreciate friendships and I certainly appreciate those types of uh, interactions, but it, it made it very difficult for me to want to maintain those in the same way that I think other people did. So I, I looked at it as more of a, a temporary thing. And because of that, you know, I have a hefty dose of, you know, social anxiety today. And again, being 32, I've, I've been able to, you know, keep that at bay. I'm, I'm comfortable and I'm able to function and everything's okay. But, you know, I have my processes and my methods for, for dealing with that. And, um, you know, being a musician, as you might guess, is being out in front of people those types of things don't bother me. You know, I can, I've played in front of uh, lots of different people over the years and I still do that week to week. And I think something about it being an intimate setting gives me more anxiety than a more public setting. Mm. Um, so it's, it's sort of warped in that way. And, and it, it's came, it comes a lot from, from that. So, you know, I had very close friends that I would get involved with and, and literally have to let that go and move on to maybe a, a new set of friends and, one particular time that I think shook me the the hardest and really, I think, solidified that devaluing of, of friendship, you know, in my psyche was around the age of 16. Uh, I was living in, uh, the, so this was the second city. So I was born in a city. We moved around a little bit there in different schools. And 
and I had moved to another city. It was in the same state uh, of Louisiana where I'm from, in the but it was in the northern part of the state. And so I was there with my mom and my, my stepdad, and I have three siblings, and you know I'm the oldest of those of these four kids. And you know there were a lot of again difficulties with things at home, right? And um, not so great things, uh, a lot of negative going on. And um, because of that, I was actually sort of shipped off to my adopted father's house during the middle of high school. So I was in I was in grade 11 at the time. So the the story is that I had gone down to my dad's house with my sister who is his daughter by by blood. We had gone down there together to be there for Christmas and be there for the, for the holidays while we were off of school. And again, lots of difficulties at home. So it was a, a, a nice getaway. Um, we had gotten there. We enjoyed maybe a week or so, maybe a week and a half. And I didn't know that this was coming, but it had turned out that my parents from that you know northern part of the state, they were contemplating leaving me at my adopted father's house from then on. So giving him access to to me legally, you know, to, to where mm-hmm. he would be my guardian from from then on out. So I didn't know this, but I wasn't going to be going back to that northern part of the state with the, with my family once my sister had gone back. Um, this was one of the, I would say, single most socially traumatizing things. So there were other things, of course, in my life, but socially, this is really where that was cemented because I was 16 years old. I had a girlfriend at the time. I had friends at the time. I was playing music at the time, so I had a band. These things that were very... You know, social in nature. I had a, I had sort of a you know a clique or a or a group and and this kind of standing with with people. And so when I found out I wasn't going back, again, not knowing that I had no time to prepare, um, my mm-hmm. cell phone was was taken away from me. So I had had no connection to those to those people really, even to let them know that that was going on. Luckily, you know, the internet was around and we had things like instant messenger. Mm-hmm. Um, so those devices were helpful. I was able to to get to them in that way. But for about maybe a week or even two weeks, I didn't have access to them. They didn't know I wasn't coming back. You know, I had to deal with that alone. Um, I didn't know anybody really where I was because moving back home with my dad was a strange place now. Because at that point I had been in that northern part of the state for maybe about six, almost seven years, you know, so all my friends were in different places, you know, so that was, I'm sure, as you can imagine, very, very socially traumatizing. I I really didn't know how to process that. Unfortunately, my, my dad was not equipped emotionally to you know, help me through that. And it was very tough for him to, to give me that, you know, even that, that comfort. So I was really, unfortunately, just kind of left to, you know, my own devices. And the good thing is that again, and music keeps coming back in, it really was one of those devices for me. I fortunately never turned to drugs or alcohol or or things that might have filled those voids. Mm -hmm. I was able to stay away from from those things um, by sheer luck, you know. So music was really that that drug for me. You know, it was I, I would listen to these very emotive songs and these these things that were not just sad for the sake of being sad, but they were you know deeply uh, rooted in the human condition and and really allowed me to navigate those perspectives as I'm you know suffering through these social traumas and these these emotional things that are you know tough at 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And now that you're another 16 years older than that, I wrote down abandonment, anger, and unwanted when you were talking about that. I cannot imagine, because obviously, like I said, 16 years 
after this, you know, you can look back at it and you can kind of see it from a completely different perspective and you can see it understanding the emotions that you would have felt, but being a little bit more removed from them. But going through that, I cannot imagine the anger and the frustration and that feeling of hopelessness and being unwanted and, and not welcome back where you wanted to go and separated. And that's a, that's a lot to unpack, my friend. That's a lot. You know, you, you mentioned uh, really, really great words. Language is one of my favorite things and your descriptive terms there are, are spot on, you know, things like abandonment and you know, hopelessness and feeling unwanted. So I've got such a an acquaintance with those, you know, descriptive terms of abandonment or feeling, you know, unwanted and just that hopelessness that comes with with having to look at those things in front of me and and, and try to accept the fact that, you know, I'm not going to see these friends again. And and you know, um, I was a smart kid, you know, so it's like I knew at the time that what was going on wasn't okay. I knew that, you know, I didn't feel like it was my fault per se. I know some people get get caught in that and they say, you know, what did I do? What could I have done instead or better? And those types of damaging thoughts. And I don't ever feel like I was there completely because I knew the emotional instability that I had in that home before, you know, and I knew what those things looked like. So I know it wasn't with me. I know it was there. I know mm-hmm. that it was just something that I was experiencing. And so that was good. You know, I was able to solidify that because many people, you know, might, might struggle with that part of it. But either way, it's like, I still, I did feel, uh, you know, just, just abandoned. And it's like from the beginning of my, my existence, you know, as I mentioned, I never knew my biological father. And as much as that didn't affect me for the first, you know, maybe half of my life, because I had uh, a family unit, it started to come back in later, you know, and it started making me really just kind of continually question myself, you know, you know, maybe I'm not worth my, you know, maybe what I am or who I am is not adequate or, or, you know, and those thoughts Mm -hmm. did kind of creep in. And uh, again, with, with the music, luckily, like I've just always had this kind of purpose centered existence, you know, I've, for some reason, I'm a, I'm a believer in the creator of the universe. So maybe there's some divine interaction there that helped comfort me and, and keep me on a positive path. Uh, I, I don't know, but it's like, I've always had this purpose centered kind of life, even through those things. So it's like, they never fully got the best of me. Uh, I kept my eye on things that I believed in. Uh, I kept my eye on moving forward and knowing that, you know, this is going to be temporary and I don't know what the other side will look like, but I just have to keep progressing through it. And that's ultimately what I, what I did. And I'm glad because I'm 32, I have a family and I, I love that I've, I've gotten through that and I can look back on it. But, you know, as you, as you know, and as you mentioned, it's, it was, it was extremely taxing and um, I'm just lucky I made it out of there without attempting the, the suicide that I certainly contemplated more than once, you know, and things that could have ultimately ended any future and um, so it was it was very difficult to say the least so between that going on in your grade 11 year when you were about 16 and being a dad now there's a lot of things have happened so I'd love to know kind of some of those monumental things that had happened I mean how'd you meet your partner you know how did this sweet little baby come into your life I mean and what things have have helped you line up or maybe hone in on the balancing techniques that you would have needed to have to to deal with your stresses and anxieties those are great questions again great insight um you're you're a great host clearly (laughs) thank you (laughs) Um, 
because of because of those experiences, I've I've also had a lot of struggles with you know obsessive compulsiveness, and uh, I feel like I've always been maybe hardwired in some ways to to have anxious uh, thoughts or to to feel those anxieties because I see a little bit of it in my family, you know, chemically, you know. So uh, I think having a slight predisposition to that, and then also going through those traumas that it really brought that forward. So as I got into my early twenties and. I'm finding friends, I'm finding opportunity through music, and I'm kind of coming into my own a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm attaching myself to vehicles that would take me away from, you know, what I'm experiencing or what I've experienced. And, and I'm just trying to attach myself to anything, but, you know, really my own worth. You know, it's like I'm trying to find, maybe uh, I started to tour with a, with a band and I'm assuming that, you know, I'm going to ride this band, you know, to stardom and that's going to make everything okay. And and those types of things that I know today are not the the right way. It's not the the antidote to to those experiences. But I certainly was doing that. So I'm attaching myself to people and and things and trying to ride those waves to any place but here, right? Mm-hmm. Any place but what I'm feeling and and what I've what I've seen, you know. And, and I don't want those things. And so I need to I need to just go away from them. So so that's kind of what I would do. So. Being obsessive compulsive has given me a couple of things. It's given me access to methods for controlling my life. You know, I certainly have control issues. You know, they've been negative at certain points in my life. They've certainly been very positive and not having control over those things early in my life. I yearn for controlling, not in a negative, of course, not taking control over people or anything like that, but just controlling things in my life that that were mine. It's like, I just mm-hmm. want an ownership over things that... To this day, I don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told really anything, you know. Uh, no, I take that back. Of course, I'm open to criticism, but uh, I don't like being told how I should be or what I should think. I'm, I'm very interested in in free thinking. I'm very interested in thinking for yourself and finding those values, you know, in your own way. And that's been something again. I feel like I've I've gained. So I met my my wife through through music again. She's not a musician, but she was interested in this this particular band that I was in around, um, I was age 16, uh, maybe almost 17. I had just moved down into that new sort of life in the Southern part of that state. And she was younger. She is uh, three years below me. So she was, you know, like in that 14 kind of area. So we weren't dating then. She was just interested in my music. She kind of was was coming to our shows and, you know, was very supportive of her, of her band. And that's when we first met. But it wasn't until a few years later, we, we met in college. And uh, so I was in school, she was in school. And uh, we met at another show. I was playing a show that was sort of my independent music. Um, and uh, she had come and uh, we reconnected in that way. I was in a, a very toxic relationship at the time. And that day I ended that relationship and said, you know, I feel like there are better things out there. So let me end this relationship. And then I ultimately, eventually I pursued her and, mm. you know, we dated and so she was kind of that inspiration for me to to leave toxicity behind to, mm-hmm. to stop trying to stay in cycles that are damaging she was such an innocent positive person i can i could feel that light from her and it wasn't wanting to be with her that made me in the relationship it was just something about her that made me think that i i could want better for myself mm-hmm. and so i decided you know i'm not going to do this anymore i'm going to get out of this toxic relationship you know i'm going to move on from this and Again, we ultimately started dating a little bit later and um, we married about a year and a half or two after starting to date and in that area of time. And we've been married um, for uh, for eight years, summer of, of 2020. Um, you know, so we, we've really gone the, you know, the long haul in the scheme of marriage so far for a young marriage. Um, 
And my daughter was born in August of 2019. So her coming into our life has been such a a learning experience for me in in a positive way. So of course, you know, she is um she's our, our first child. Um so of course that comes with its own challenges and things like that. So of course there's a learning curve involved with that, you know, but but really it's been a, a positive learning experience for me and it's been a healing experience for me as well because I'm able to take all of these things that I may have lacked in my early whether it was childhood or whether it was adolescence and all of the things that have made it difficult for me to process life in a healthy way. I'm able to funnel that into her in a way that I feel like I may have missed out on and to try to save her from experiencing those types of heartaches or those types of even anxieties and challenges. And certainly she will have her own challenges. So I know that with that responsibility comes, uh, I can't shield her from the world and, and from the bad things that are out there, but I certainly can avoid putting them on her myself. You know, I can mm-hmm. certainly avoid being the things that would make her challenged in a way that that she doesn't need to be challenged, you know, and I can help her, you know, navigate through life in a more positive way. There's a, there's a music artist that I honestly never listened to uh, their music a whole lot, but they're, so I'm not going to name them, but they, one of the things that they mentioned in an interview I was seeing one time was such a, a, a beautiful sentiment of what, you know, music is and what it doesn't have to be. And what, what they said was that their life was also filled with with traumas and and things that that made their music maybe maybe very insightful and people have gotten a lot from it but they were saying that you know you don't need trauma and deep sadnesses like that in order to have beautiful art you know you don't have to have these horrible things happen to you to make you have this insightful art you can also create great things and insightful things from joy you know mm-hmm. joy is a is a great um, motivator for beauty as well. And my goal is really for my my daughter, I certainly want to pass on any insight that I've gained from the traumas that I've experienced. And I certainly want to equip her with that. I want her to have that from me. But I don't think she needs to experience those types of things in order to have a an insightful outlook on life or, or perspective. You know, you can gain those things from from joy as well. You just have to appreciate joy for what it is. You can't take joy for granted. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned from meeting my wife and starting my my family is you have to practice appreciating and having gratitude toward mm-hmm. toward everything, yeah. you know, the, the negatives, the positives. And once you do that, once you're able to accept that, you can really build a life that you choose. You know, you can really build a life, you know, where you're not, um, you know, enslaved by your past. You know, you can you can try to escape that in a way where you are, are building something new from it and, and kind of you know rising out of that rubble. And that's ultimately what I'd like to pass on to her. You know, I don't want to shield her from bad things. I don't want her to think there are no challenges in life. So I don't want to overcompensate in that way. But I certainly want to give her an appreciation for, for joy and the things that we will have in our household um, that might, you know, some people might take it for granted if they haven't experienced trauma or if they haven't met people with those types of stories. And, and that's why I'm sharing mine, you know, to mm-hmm. both give insight for people who have not met those struggles and to give, you know, companionship to those who have. And, and um, yeah, so that, that's my, my goals for my family lately. And I have so much respect for that because I feel like with societal messaging, 
like where you and I are the same age, but growing up, there was so much about suppressing how you feel so that you're not being dramatic. You're not being over the top. You're not being silly. Why are you crying? All of these things. Emotions are what make us human. They're what make this life and this human experience so special. So high five to you, Josh, for actually being able to facilitate, being able to have these conversations and be vulnerable in them because there is so much growth in that. Oh, it makes me think of my own, my own past and my own growing up and thinking about the conversations that I so willingly and so openly have now about where I'm at emotionally, mentally, spiritually even, and, and to have these conversations just from the heart space and how much I wish that I had access to that space throughout my life. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I think that it's like, you know, I feel like everything is a reaction to what has come before us, you know, so Mm -hmm. socially and and really everything technology and, and just what we do as human beings. And I think the previous mindset of, you know, suppressing things. And it was because they were protecting themselves. It's like they were, they were assuming that if people saw weakness, that they would attack those weaknesses. And so they had to, you know, hoard them away. And, and I I certainly understand that because there is a safety there, you know, there is certainly benefit to that mentality, but it's flawed because if you hide your weaknesses and you put them in a place where you don't deal with them, they will consume you uh, from the inside out as opposed to people coming in and attacking you from the outside. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where a lot of that comes from. So you have, you know, you have people saying, you know, like you mentioned, you know, oh, you're being dramatic or you're being this and that. And, oh, you know, don't talk about this because of, you know, this. And, and while I don't think that we should sort of spread ourselves around all of our private moments, all of our private things for the entire world to see, because, you know, you don't want to parade yourself. You're not like a musical kind of monkey who's clashing the cymbals. It's, you don't want to make yourself out to be that. However, if you're able to be in touch with your vulnerability in a way that you take ownership over it and you're you're showing people that you're interested in working through it that it's a process and that some things you're open to discussing and some things you might you know keep keep for you and your your family or you and your private you know sector and i think that it's important to open up those private maybe what you think maybe with the previous generation thought should be private. You open those things up and you share them in a way that it'll make the next generation better equipped to deal with them. Mm-hmm. So they won't have to think of it as, oh, stuff it down. Or they won't have to think of it as like, oh, tell your story. You know, everyone should tell everything about themselves. They may actually have this healthy mindset of like, well, no, I have these things. Some of them I will share. I will be navigating them in a healthy way. You know, emotions like sadness, emotions like heartache and and even anxiety that might come from day-to-day situations, they won't have ownership over you. You'll you'll treat them almost as a, a welcomed guest because they're a part of life and we have no other real choice than to deal with them. And hopefully that'll end with, you know, a generation with maybe less and less issues with um, maybe addiction or or things that they might self-medicate with. We might be able to, you know, erase some of those things mm-hmm. from our, our human condition if we work on them. And, you know, and of course there are exceptions and variables, but, you know, I'm sure you hear my sentiment there. And so that that's why I do think that we should be open to exploring those things. And for me, so as a songwriter, the ways that I, I'm interested in exploring that is taking these insights that I've, that I've gained, you know, so I have accepted my experiences and I have accepted my day to day and my past and my future and, and everything that it is. 
So these days, I've been a songwriter for a very long time, and I've had different motivations throughout that time. But for the last two years, I've been trying to get back to what music did for me when I was young. And that it was because it wasn't just a safety net. It wasn't just a place for me to feel comforted. It also was a place for me to experience people not afraid of addressing, you know, these very deep rooted ideas. So uh, it's like I would hear music that was sad for the sake of being sad or happy for the sake of being happy. Or you think of, you know, pop music, which we have, you know, maybe music made for people who want to dance. And I appreciate all of those avenues. But for me, really diving into the emotive qualities of our human fiber and really it's, uh, you know, deep insight, uh, deep self-exploration um, were the things that attracted me to music. So music coupled with language, putting those things together and, and making it really just resonate like a, you know, like a low fire of just information and and warmth that you can absorb them in so many different ways. And, and I really appreciated that early on. And, and I was doing that along the way. It's like along the way I was participating in music and I had those sights on music and doing it in that way. But I would try all these different avenues. I would attach myself to people and attach myself to other artists. Or I did some, I don't like to gloat on my experiences, but I've had some very, you know, larger than life experiences with some artists, you know, playing for these different voice competition artists and, you know, being on these really big stages in front of lots of people opening for these massive acts. And again, I'm not going to name drop because that's not who I am. But point being is those experiences never made me feel complete. Mm-hmm. It's like they, they didn't do the things I was I was looking for. Mm-hmm. And so in the last couple of years, I've been you know, thinking to myself, what is music for me? You know, yeah, I do it for a living and I do it as a job. But if it's that one thing that has always helped me to feel human, what do I want to do to give back to that? You know, what what should I be doing to explore that better? Mm-hmm. And so for the last two years, I've been working on getting back to those sort of minimalistic intentions and those minimalistic ways of thinking about songwriting. And that is where my songwriting project, The Canary Yellow, has sort of been born from. I wrote about 35 song ideas in 2018. They, they just flowed on me for over a period of maybe nine months. And I was so grateful for that because I learned a lot about myself and I was being very vulnerable and I was I was finding that foothold again. So about, let's see, six, seven, eight months ago, I started to release music again. And I wasn't quite doing it underneath the Canary Yellow yet. I had written a song called Canary Yellow and I really enjoyed that name. And I was like, man, that's such a cool idea. I've always liked the idea of music being in a project form, not like under my name personally, which is something I've done in the past. And So I started to release this music again, and I started with a song about my daughter, and it was a very vulnerable gratitude song toward her. It was very short, and um, I released it, and people gave me some great feedback, and then I released another song, and that one was also vulnerable, and again, getting great feedback from people and feeling like I'm I'm resonating in a way that, that I believe in. And so then I decided to regroup as the the Canary Yellow. And I've been working on that for the past few months or so and kind of building that and uh, attaching my, my story to that in a way that is uniquely me. So it's like I'm branding it in a way that I'm, I want it to resonate who I am as a person and what my intentions are for life and the struggles that I have really just in hopes for helping other people to, if they are feeling any of those things or get you know, comfort from from that, like I did early on, I feel like I owe it to music to explore that and to really make sure that I'm paying that, you know, that sort of that homage to to what it was and 
a song that I'm uh, releasing very soon um, that I think would be out by the time people heard this this conversation is called Voices. And it's the most vulnerable I've ever been in songwriting. It's certainly in a released form. And it talks about all of the experiences that I've had early on that has really just given me a constant sort of self-loathing existence. You know, it's like, I don't think I hate myself, but my confidence is almost always shaken. You know, it's like I, I never have that foothold that I would like to have on life because of some of those traumas. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. so I'm working through it, of course, every day. My, my daughter has been a breath of fresh air. My wife is always helpful and it is better and it's certainly going to get better. But those voices they're always kind of there. They're always kind of convincing me to, to doubt myself. And that's kind of where obsessive compulsiveness comes in for me. And, and it's not just about doubting your abilities. It's about doubting your, your intentions. So like, if I tell you, hey, I'm doing this, even right now, I'm, my inner monologue is saying, no, you're a fraud. Like you're lying, right? That's not, that's not true, but I know it's true. So mm -hmm. of course I'm motivated to say it. But so, so that song tackles that, you know, and it really, really speaks to that. And allows me to have a dialogue with those voices and, and listen to them, but not take them so seriously, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, I mentioned a little bit of reflection on the abuse that I, that I encountered as well. So all that to say, that song is the one I'm gonna really stand on with this project and it's highly personal and it, it's just very revealing in that way. And so all that to say, uh, I, and I would love for people to check it out. However, that's not my goal. My goal is to just to show that that is what I'm doing to explore that. That is what I'm doing to try to heal myself and to make sure that I'm able to give my daughter and my wife, the husband and the father and the dad, that they need to not have the things that I experienced, you know, and I want that for them. And I want that for myself, you know, and my first Father's Day was recently. Mm -hmm. I really, I just love my family. I don't think I can articulate the depth of appreciation and gratitude I have for, for having you know, a positive unit to explore, you know, and I'm running out of language, as you can, you can see, I keep saying explore, but I'm so appreciative of them. And, um, and it's been a massively healing process for me. Mm -hmm. I think with your experiences, is you have such a deep rooted appreciation, because you've experienced something that is so drastically different from what you currently have, is that it gives you a real genuine sense of oh my gosh, this is mine. I have this. I didn't necessarily plan for this. You know, it it, it happened to you. And as you said, you know, with a, a higher being or a higher spiritual power that had their way and, and were able to help you create that. Right. I think it's incredible, Josh. I think that what you've done, the conversations that you're having, the art that you're creating as well and producing is really special. And that in itself is a path. It really is. I think that what you're doing is, and really at 32 years old, I mean, there are days that I feel ancient. There are days that I'm like, what the hell have I done with my life? And then other times I'm like, holy shit, I've done a lot. And I, I hope that you look at your life and you say, wow, I've done so much, but still 32 is so fresh. Look at the seeds that you've planted in the last couple months and what's coming your way. It's, it's incredible. Sure. You know, I, I agree with you. I think um, another thing that I'm interested in sort of passing on to my family and, and hopefully passing on to others in my existence is I've, I've, my, my thirties have been the, the absolute best time of my life so far. My, my twenties were, were great and I learned a lot, but my thirties 
feel so much more um, solid in that I'm more confident in my intentions for life. I'm more confident in in everything that I'm doing to navigate that and to create that for my family that I think it's a fallacy for people to think that all of their best things come out of, you know, the time, you know, between 18 and 25. You know, the, the truth is, is that if we look at life in the way that we're supposed to look at life. And I don't know if, you know, what the life expectancy of people have been in your life, but if you look around, so many people are making it, you know, at very least to age 75. Mm -hmm. You know, that tends to be the the kind of average lifespan of a human, even on a bad day, with the exception of sickness and those types of things. So Mm -hmm. should we look at life as ending or not being fruitful once we're past age of 25? You know, when Mm -hmm. we settle down and have a family. And I'm putting that in air quotes because that is, (laughs) it's such a fallacy. The truth is that you have an exponential amount of value to offer. You just can't stop exploring it. And the, the older you get, as long as you're continuing to chip away at that, your perspective is going to be way better. And you're going to be much more equipped for doing for yourself and for others. As long as you don't have this sort of comparative ideology, you know, between you and somebody else, the only time you should compare yourself to others is looking at what they're doing in terms of their hard work. If they're doing something to further themselves, you should absolutely learn from that. You should absolutely hold that up against what you're doing, but you should never hold your results up against someone else's results. So if someone, you know, becomes a superstar at 18 or if someone, anything, it's like, you should never say, well, then, okay, I've got to do that thing or else, you know, I've got to do this thing or else. All of the times I've had that mentality, I've seen failure and just like, I've not been satisfied with that. I've, the things that I thought would make me happy didn't. So it's like, ever since I've gone down the path of self-fulfillment and a natural, a positive, creative, healthy mindset sort of outlook on life, I've been just happier and time moves slow yeah. sort of, you know, time scale. And once the clock strikes 12, it's over, you know, and, and so I think that's important, you know, for people to understand mm-hmm. it's, it's every, every a journey is it's perpetual. Mm-hmm. And just evaluating your expectations that you put on life because expectations that aren't met leads to disappointment. So right. just evaluating the level of importance that you're putting on certain expectations and just understanding mm-hmm. that if you don't meet certain expectations, it's not the end of the world. Right. But my gosh, depending on what you're doing in life, that can be that can be hard to face. Oh, you know, it's the, the human the human condition all over again. Yeah, I know. I have a few safe haven style questions for you, if that's OK. Absolutely. What are you most proud of? I would definitely say that I'm most proud of a couple of things really all related to my my family. Um, and those things are my intentions to cultivate a family because it, it has to start there. My family in general, having them to cultivate and really to top that off, just following through with doing so, making sure that I am doing what I intend to do and showing up and continuing to show up and showing up in all of the different angles that is needed in order to consider yourself someone who is showing up so I'm proud of my following through with that thus far. Mm-hmm. That's a really beautiful answer. Thank you. I appreciate that. What do you want to be known for? I would prefer to be known as somebody who doesn't point people toward what they're capable of. So me, 
I don't want to point people toward what I'm capable of. I want people to see through me so they can know what they're capable of. That would be what I would want to be known for. Everything I do, everything that I believe in, I would like it to be transparent enough that I am not the end result of their attention, that their attention ultimately feeds into what can they do to make themselves better. And I would like to be known for not trying to absorb that from them. Mm-hmm. To just allow everyone to be on their own personal journey as opposed to influence the, their direction? Yeah, I, I think I would prefer to to not make things about me, mm-hmm. but to help make sure that people are really focusing on themselves mm-hmm. in a way that allows them to become better as opposed to, you know, being fed kind of what they they think they should be or they think they should do. I'd, I'd like to encourage self-reflection and personal free thinking. Mm. I love that so much, Josh. I have so much respect for that answer because I feel like that just everybody will be a happier individual. They were. They will be a better family member, a better community member, a better teacher, a better educator, a better whatever they're going to be in life, just a better human if they are fulfilling their own personal happiness from the inside out and constantly self-reflecting. And to be someone like yourself who is in a position where you can influence others' decisions, to have that ego removed from your direction and to want to just help them learn more so about turning inwards, my gosh, if I could high-five you right now, I would. (laughs) I just, I mean that, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't like celebrity culture. I've never, I've never, uh, I want to say this as just to really encourage that, that mindset. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been in the circle, I guess you could say, or the the air of celebrities and, and what I've been able to do to interact with them. And I am, I'm not saying that everyone has to do this, but what I'm saying is I've actually avoided or I guess um, said, I'm not going to take a picture with a celebrity after like, it being involved with them just for the sake of not wanting to put people on pedestals in any way. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm not saying that people shouldn't enjoy the people that they look up to. And I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But for me, I like to push things as far away from narcissism as possible. And any inkling of that, I try to take myself from it. I try to remove myself from that. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want to encourage that. If I ever had any platform, you will never see that as part of my, my my being. You would never see me as, as hey, everybody, look what I'm doing. Look what I can do. Um, that's just not. That's I don't believe in that in any way. I've I've suffered from those from those mindsets, and I know that even though it might look prettier on a celebrity, sometimes it's it's there. And although those mindsets I experienced were traumatic in nature because of narcissism. I know that it's all the same type of thing. And therefore I am actively pushing that out of my life. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Huge props to that. Uh, Last one is if you had a message for the world right now, there's a lot going on in this world. What would it be? Okay. So my message right now would be just, okay. It's a, it's a request and it's a, it's a plea. Um, please be kind. Try, you know, be who you are. Definitely go off of your experiences because those, those matter, you know. Disagree with people, that matters. You know, agree with people, that also matters. 
but do it from a perspective of empathy. Feel empathy toward yourself, feel empathy toward others. I would say start with yourself so you can feel it toward others. And empathizing with people doesn't mean that you agree with every aspect of their stance. It just means that you refuse to hate them. You know, just that's my message, I, I guess, in this little segment is just refuse to hate people. Just as simple as that. I have loved this conversation with you, Josh. Thank you so much for your time. Honestly, I it's so from the heart. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. Thank you for being so open with me for sharing your stories and being vulnerable. I mean, being vulnerable can be so difficult, but change happens with vulnerability and it's such a necessary thing for growth. And I feel like in a world where being vulnerable can be so hard, leading the way with love is do you're going to you're going to touch people's lives that you don't even realize. That that's the power of the spoken and the written word and in this case the audio version of a message that people are going to be able to hear around the world and relate to. Yeah, I, I appreciate, you know, so much you having me on and, and, and letting me explore these ideas with people. And I, I agree with you, you know, just being the new face of vulnerability is something that this next generation, we can really change that, what that is, and we can make it a stronger version of itself. We can take the weakness out of it and just make it something that is infinitely and exponentially positive and mm-hmm. and not be about just about feelings that you feel all the time it's not it's not about that it's just about taking what you're experiencing and accepting and being okay with navigating that don't stuff it down don't you know blow it up mm-hmm. just just see it for what it is and explore it you know and um so i, I appreciate you you know you've been a, an incredible host you, you have an incredible platform and i'm just happy to to be a part of, of that that solution Mm, thank you so much. Josh, people need to know where to find you online. So give me all of your details. Sure. Okay. Um, so uh, I do have a website, um, thecanaryyellow.carrd.co. Uh, I'm on Instagram, especially active on Instagram, at thecanaryyellow. I'm on Facebook, on Twitter, YouTube. You can hear all of my music anywhere you stream it, Spotify, Apple Music, anything like that. Uh, and you know, I would I would love for you to to come find me. Mm-hmm. Question about the song "Voices" and when it's coming out. Where will we be able to find that first? Same thing, like where we would stream music or on YouTube. Yeah, it'll be uh, and it will be online where you stream music, Spotify, Apple Music, all of those places. And uh, I'm I'm very excited to share that. Mm-hmm. Amazing, and I'll be able to put all of those links at the bottom of the podcast notes so that people can just find it easily. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Of course. Josh, thank you so much for sharing your time and your story with me. Sharing our stories in such a vulnerable way as you have today starts really crucial conversations in the world around us. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform, and I am committed to creating a safe, brave, and inclusive space with intention. If this episode has hit you right in the heart or inspired you in any way, please screenshot the screen while you're listening, send it to your friends, and share it in your Instagram stories please be sure to tag us so that we can personally thank you for it. If you're able to write a review or leave a juicy five-star rating in Apple Podcasts, even better. For more great podcasts, check out FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com and I will talk to you next week.